The following content has been rated for mature audiences only. Viewer discretion is advised. Well, I'm not an expert. I'm not an authority. I'm someone who has been a murderer for almost 20 years. Maybe I should have killed four or five hundred people, then I would have felt better. People say Ted Bundy didn't show any emotion. There must be something in that. I showed emotion. You know what people said? See, you really can't get violent and angry. Welcome to The Squawk and the Hag, a podcast about murder, mystery, the supernatural, and even a conspiracy or two. Dun, dun, dun. My name is Mo. And I'm Kraken. Welcome back, guys, to another fun episode of The Squonk and the Hag. Random squonk noises. What sound does a squonk make? Um, I think, well, since it dissolves into a puddle of tears, it's probably something like drippy water or something. I thought you were going to say it's probably just crying, so you should just start off the episode just by crying in the corner. Okay, okay, I'm, I'm, okay. I'm down with this one. Okay. Go cry, crack. No, I'm kidding. But this week is another crime episode, and this is actually one that was brought to our attention by a listener. So I don't know if you know Mumsy in the Discord, Cracko? I do. Yeah. So this was a while back. I had put a thing on Twitter about like your local true crime stories and uh, yeah i remember that yeah yeah so we got a bunch of really great ones i know whimsy sent in one that i have been researching on and off for a while and then uh mumsy and can i can i um before we continue can i can i point out did, did you just say whimsy again did did, did you mean whiskey her name is Wisty. Right. That's how. Why that's, do I always call her Whimsy? I don't know, but that's that's fine because that's what they changed their name to in the podcast Discord. I think because of the inside it is, joke. It so. is because I always screw up. I always screw up the name, and like I like I adore her. I adore her, and she sends me pictures of her kitten all the time, and she's amazing, and yet I still, without fail, screw up her name every single time I say it. I think it's because the Twitch name is like Whimsical Wisty, so you're combining both of them. Your brain is just like, let's just shorten this to Whimsy. Yes. This is fine. This is fine. It's fine. Anyway, so back to tonight's story. This is one that Mumsy had listed that her grandfather used to tell them growing up. And then Allie dug in and found out a bunch of craziness that happened because this is actually from the late 1920s, early 1930s. So it's a little bit in the way back machine. A little bit. Yeah, it's it's definitely different. And we have we have talked about this time period before. This is during the Great Depression. In 1929 is when things kind of hit the fan, metaphorically speaking. The stock market crashed, which started the Great Depression, and it saw a rise in unemployment and poverty across the country. So those who were already either lower or middle class got hit the hardest and the Midwest was hit really, really hard. I actually pulled up that 
So let's just just kind of zoning in in like the iron ranges of Minnesota, the cold districts of Illinois. Unemployment was over 70 percent at the time. And then in Chicago, which, you know, this is the urban city. This is a, a, a lot different than, you know, coal mines and things like that. It was estimated at 40 percent unemployment which is crazy absolutely yeah, crazy that's, that's getting up there just a little bit it's higher than we would like those numbers to be in yeah well to add to it farm prices were at an all-time low and farming income dropped 60 percent so you already had debt and tax issues and all that stuff. And now you're getting less money in as well. I I have seen at places that it got so bad because they couldn't afford to pay workers that crops were just rotting in the fields while people were starving because they they couldn't afford to farm the crops to feed the people. I mean, if, if stock market's already down is should what would the farmer not just be like hey just you know take it he didn't sell it anyway so i mean yeah i don't know i mean maybe people were going and just like stealing crops and things like that but you also have to think i would imagine there was some of that yeah but also you know people were starving in cities that would get the crops imported so they weren't necessarily next door another thing from all of this so one of the big aggravating issues to the Great Depression was that people had their money in banks. And when it crashed, the money just went away because, you know, it was it was all gone. There was no money there. So it actually started the FDIC, which is uh, it stands for the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. (laughs) Had to look that one up. But that is. Yeah, that was going to be me. I was like, I I need some explanation on that one. It basically insures the money in the bank to a certain amount. So the way banks work is they don't have all of the money (laughs) that people are saving or whatever on hand at all times. They have to have a certain percentage. They have to follow. This outlines the rules of everything. But even if a bank closes, like a bank just completely goes out of business, which at the time of the Great Depression, many, many banks just went out of business. They just shut their doors and they were done. In terms of money, we have no money. Yeah. Well, with the FDIC, even if a bank closes its doors, you will still be able to get your money because it is insured. Whereas back then, bank closed its doors. Sorry. And I saw in one article... They estimated it was over $1.3 billion was lost. I feel, like that's, I feel like that's something you shouldn't do is losing that amount of money. You know, losing a dollar or something here and there. But like, um, it's a bit of a bit of a steep number. Definitely more than four. Definitely more than four. And you have to think, you know, these are people's lives. Like that was everything they had that they had in the bank. And it was just gone one day. Also. You have to think one point three billion dollars in the twenties. I, I that is definitely more than four. Yes, I I I can't even do the math. My brain I think is going to start smoking, and people will smell it 
because it's going to catch fire here. I mean, I already do, but I wasn't going to say anything. You smell smoke. You might want to see a doctor. Burnt toast. Yeah. Should I let you go? Do you need to go to like the urgent care or something? <laughs> it's fine. I'm sure it's fine. So in the med- Midwest during the Great Depression, there were the economic struggles. There was also the environmental disaster known as the Dust Bowl, which sent many, many farmers into crisis. So not only did they not have money, but now there was a an environmental disaster and there were just you had to make a choice and none of them were good. So for some, they packed up and left. They went to California looking for work. They, you know, did whatever they could, move to the city, etc. But other people... Yeah, I I remember a little bit about that, about the people leaving during the Dust Bowl thing, about going to California. Other people made some much darker decisions. Suicide rates skyrocketed. I know we talked about the Cecil Hotel with the insane amount of suicides. Yes, the suspicious amount. The suspicious amount of suicides. We also... It's not bad enough to have a Great Depression, but this is the same time period that the Cleveland Torso murderer was running around. So it was a super, super duper fun time. And by fun, I mean awful. So our story is going to take place near Patton, Missouri. It is a town city uh, located in, I think it's said Bollinger County or Bollinger County. And it's along the Missouri and Illinois border, about a hundred miles south of St. Louis. And it is an area full of just rural farming communities. So in January of 1932, we're going to focus in on one of those farms, which is the Davenport family. You know, all the fun stuff, all all the fun stuff always happens on, on farmland. Sure. Fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nothing will go wrong, I'm sure. Yeah, especially if we're covering it on this podcast. Yeah, it's going to be fine. So Oliver Davenport was a a family man. He had a good reputation. He lived on a small farm off of Highway 51 with his wife, Clara, and their seven children. Some of these names are doozies. Oh, boy. There was 12-year-old Worcester, the 10-year-old twins Vergie and Verda, 7-year-old Clara Faye, 5-year-old Raymond, 3-year-old Louise, and 10-month-old Vanita. Not making fun of anyone's name here, but like, wow, that's definitely different. The, 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 this this time, time frame here is just, those are just lawless wastelands when it comes to names. The names change over the years too. You like, yeah. I know. I guess there was a, a recurrence of some like old-fashioned names coming back, like Ethel and Rose and that kind of stuff. But yes, yeah. But where did Wooster come from? I don't know, but I think so. Chris and I follow the Reading Royals, which is a minor league hockey team that's not far from us. It's in Reading, Pennsylvania which we've talked about before, the city, not necessarily the Royals, but they play a rival team that it's spelled much differently than the way Worcester's name is here, but it's the Worcester Railers. As soon as I saw that, I was like, wait, like the hockey team? 
but <laughs> it's spelled much different. So this is W-O-O-S-T-E-R. And that is, it actually looks like Worcester, but it said Worcester. Ah, uh, so he was named after a, a bottle of Worcestershire <laughs> sauce or, or however you say that, because I know I'm going to pronounce that wrong, but I do my best. With your abacus chair? Yes. So the Davenport name was kind of known in the area because Oliver had several brothers and they lived all over the county. So he had brothers, they had families. It was a pretty prominent family in the area. Oliver and Clara had lived on this particular farm for about two years and they were planning to move to another area January 7th of this year. So 10 months before this Oliver had sold the farm to a neighbor named Fred Stone and then later arranged for the family to move. He hired men and wagons and they were going to load everything up and move. But as well as everything seemed to be going, everything was great. They're going to start over at a new farm. On January 7th, 1932, things went horribly and unexpectedly wrong. So it, this is the part where true crime documentaries and series just go, things were fine until they weren't. Yes. Now, they back in the day, we know records weren't the best. So we don't know the exact layout of the house. You know, We don't have blueprints or anything like that, which, you know, in some some cases, once it gets, you know, more modernized. We do have those things, but we can kind of piece together some information based off of news articles and stuff like that. But the farmhouse itself would have been small. And there were articles saying that the entire family, so that would have been nine people, two adults, seven children, they all slept in a single main room together. Different beds, but one room. And there were at least two beds mentioned, but there probably would have been more. And with a baby, there probably would have been a crib or a bassinet or something like that. Adjacent to this room was a small kitchen. And it was either like an add-on or like an addition to the home or at least partitioned off from the main room where they slept. So it wasn't it wasn't necessarily a wall, but there might have been a curtain or something across there. It was like a makeshift wall. Yeah. But beyond that, there aren't a lot of details out there as to what the rest of the house was. I don't know if it was a single floor. I'm assuming it was, you know, but it would have been like a small little. Yeah. Describing the like the open floor plane with like separate beds, but just all in the same room. Most likely a single floor. It's probably just one room entirely and you have to split it up yourself like they did with like you said with yeah. curtains or whatever yeah i think it was kind of like a kind of like a small cabin uh you know that type of situation probably something like that so sometime between three and four in the morning oliver got out of bed got dressed he grabbed a one and a half pound claw hammer and woke up his wife, Clara. She was still asleep in one of the beds, and two of the children were in bed with her. Oliver told his wife 
that all he saw was starvation in the future of their family, blamed her for the extravagance and financial ruin that they were facing, and then started attacking her. He hit her in and around her head at least nine times. Her screams woke up two of the oldest children, which are Worcester and Verda. Both of the kids began to run from the house. I can imagine that the mother would have told them to run. Uh, a lot of times you see if a mother is in danger, she will tell her children to remove themselves from the danger. She will, you know, yeah. run, go, get out of here. This just went from zero to 100 very quickly. I was not expecting that sharp left turn. Yeah, it, it came out of nowhere and it came out of nowhere for them. Worcester and Verda are running from the house. Oliver struck Verda while she was running. But when the two children got outside of the house, Worcester said they needed to stay safe and run and go get some help. However, Verda insisted on going back in the house and helping her mother and their siblings. So you have to remember, there's five more children in that house. Yeah, but go going back is probably not going to be the best idea either, because what are you going to do? Well, the decision led to Verda... Verda losing her life. She was killed by her father when she returned to the house. Meanwhile, Worcester was barefoot in his pajamas. And this is January. There was snow on the ground, but he ran for an hour to get help and raise the alarms. So it didn't take an hour to get to the neighbor's house, but he got to the neighbor's house. They raised the alarms, got everything. So it took an hour for help to get back to the house. It just shows like how how far away they are from like everything. Yeah, it's just it's a rural farming community. So you have to think it's farm next to farm next to farm and they all have lots of land. So it is not close. It is not close. Yeah, there's, there's nothing. During the time that Worcester ran to get help, Oliver continued to attack the rest of the children in the house with the hammer. Then when he was done, he sat on the floor of the main room, put a single barrel shotgun to the side of his head and ended his own life. Later... Clara reported that she heard Oliver call her as he sat with the gun, but she remained quiet and he assumed she was dead. And that's when he did everything himself. When help arrived, they were really nervous to go inside because what if he was still in there wielding a hammer? Nobody knew. And they weren't sure if he was going to attack them. Oliver's half-brother heard groaning from inside the house so he called out he's you know trying to figure out what's happening going in there and clara replied so she was still alive she was badly injured clara was fresh my memory the wife the mother okay that's what i thought but i was like make sure so she was in very bad condition she had massive head trauma, which happens when you get hit in the head with a hammer. Usually, yes. 
but she was still alive. And when they got there, she replied, she said that Oliver had attacked them and then shot himself. So they were like, okay, he unfortunately is no longer alive, so, but that means that he can't attack them. So they entered the house and found an absolutely horrifying scene. I'm sure no, no one wants to go. No one wants to be the one to go in the house during that. Just nah. No, no, they do not. This is one of those things. So this is very similar. I don't know why it's like the, you know, when you watch like CSI or whatever, and they have that one episode where it's just flashbacks of all the stories they've taught, they've done in the season. Yeah. But it makes me think of the Stanley Detweiler case where it was something that the police chief walked in on and was so shocked and appalled they didn't know what to do. So this is another case like that where it is not something, it's not a crime that not even wouldn't enter your mind. It's not something that you would ever think would possibly ever even be a, a fraction of something that could occur. Because yeah, like I said, when you started, when the story really took that turn, I was just like, we were on a happy farm a few minutes ago. What happened? They, they, they never really were completely sure what happened. There are, there are ideas and things like that, but there was never any kind of concrete, oh, this is why he did it. Yeah. Which I think makes it worse. <laughs> yeah, to me, that's always worse. It's just, yeah, it's, it's bad any time, whether they have a reason or not, but at least you have some sort of explanation, not just murder for the sake of murder. Yeah, like, I know... My my therapist tells me this all the time. I'm a I'm a problem solver. So I need to have that conclusion, which is why I struggle watching Unsolved Mysteries, because I want to know what happened. I want to figure it out. I want to find the answer. Like I am an answer person. So when you go and you don't have an answer and you will never get that answer, I'm just like, but I want to know. Like I need the answers. I don't need sleep. I need answers. <laughs> and then I'm, you know, sticking stuff on the wall with yarn. <laughs> drawing lines yes <laughs> i actually thought about it they so i have a wall in my office here that is chalkboard paint and they make magnetic chalkboard paint and i was like should i put another layer on here so that i can stick stuff to it and i can hang papers up and do that without ruining my walls <laughs> understandable meanwhile me putting the soundproofing foam on my wall i just got like like industrial strength silicone adhesive glue to like stick it to the wall so if this foam comes off the wall it's taking part of the drywall with it so hopefully you never move <laughs> yeah y yeah <laughs> Because if the foam comes off, I have a feeling you just gotta just replace the drywall because it's probably gonna take the wall with it. Oh Lord! Just full in, just slap all the glue on the back. It'll be fine. That's that's future me's problem. That is future use problem. If you lived closer, I would tell you I know a guy because we. I think I told you this. We we had some plumbing issues. The the drywall guy came out and he's like, "Your ceiling's still wet." We so he like. He cut out some of it so it was like air out a little bit more. We had a fan paint it, uh, pointed at it for like two weeks, dried out the drywall, but then he replaced the ceiling and now it looks like new. Hopefully it stays that way. <laughs> yeah, that bathroom better not leak again. <laughs> Let's hope not. <laughs> but he did a really great job. Well, that's good. So there's that. Yes. He just came in and now there's just like a patch of like blue drywall just in your ceiling. as random color. 
No, it, it looks really good. Like it is even we haven't even painted over it yet and you can barely see it. So like he did a good job and we no longer have a hole in our ceiling. Yes. We just have to paint it. Ah, yes, that. Oliver's body was laying where he shot himself. And some reported that the hammer was still clutched in one of his hands. But I don't know how accurate that is because, you know, that's some people say it could have been, you know, like urban legend type stuff because he did also have to deal with a, a shotgun and all that stuff. Yeah. And if he's sitting on the floor, I mean, there's propping it up and things like that. And you just have to use the one hand. But like, I wouldn't say clutching, but like it could just be like laying in his hand. Like maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. When help arrived, the only family members still alive were his wife, Clara, and then his daughters, Vergie and Clara Faye, as well as his son, Worcester, who ran to get help. However, seven-year-old Clara Faye didn't make it to the hospital. She passed away before she even got there. Clara and 10-year-old Vergie were rushed to the nearest hospital, and both were suffering from fractured skulls from the attack. Newspapers reported that they were in critical condition, but both mother and daughter would recover. Additionally, I had seen that the obviously the medical bills were astounding for the two of them to be in the hospital suffering from head trauma they you know there it was expensive great depression etc and it looks like the uh, community actually put together a fund to help with their medical bills which was really neat that's awesome yeah it was like the GoFundMe of the 1930s <laughs> GoFundMe of the 1930s bro I wasn't ready I'm sorry. I'm trying to think of 1930s slang. What would it be called? I don't know, but it wasn't supposed to be a joke. I was just, I was just trying to think of something to compare it to. Go fundeth me. Go fundeth me? <laughs> Wait, that's medieval. That's not 1930s. How is it that when we talked about the uh, the North Hollywood shootout, from the 90s you were like in 1933 but now we're in 1932 we're almost in 1933 and now you're like medieval times yes it is time for the medieval lingo (laughs) oh lord okay so the go fundeth me yes uh so yes the 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 community helped raise money uh because they were in the hospital very long term but they did recover so the three survivors were Clara, Vergie, and Worcester. Unfortunately, Verda, Raymond, Louise, and the baby Vanita were declared dead at the scene. The news of the murder-suicide spread very quickly. The newspapers printed the story hours after it happened. And you think, back then, it, that is a big deal. Nowadays, you can get a message to someone in seconds, whereas this was before then. There, 
there was a little bit of technology like phones and stuff, but there wasn't a quick, easy way to get information out there like this. So this this was like wildfire. And through the Associated Press, the story actually got national coverage. In the first reports, because again, it was hard to disperse information at the time. So there was some false information that the Davenports were facing financial ruin and they were losing the land that they lived on. But that was later amended when people found out that he actually sold the farm. He he took it upon himself to sell the farm to someone else. So he got money from the farm, therefore not financial ruin. But at, at first, they thought they had lost the farm and someone else had purchased it, which would have explained maybe some of the mindset. But since that wasn't the case, again, huge question marks as to why did he do this? Exactly. Yeah. Many pointed out that Oliver showed no signs of distress leading up to this. A lot of times when people have some sort of mental break, there are signs leading up to it. You know, they they were stressed, they were uh, acting funny. It, there was nothing. And nobody could fathom why he would commit a crime like this. In the newspapers, they claimed that he had to have suffered some sort of mental imbalance or mental break to cause him to do this with no warning and in this manner, because it wasn't just a, I killed my family and then myself. It was a brutally vicious attack. And that is, that is, that raises a lot of red flags, even probably to a psychologist today, they would be like, whoa. Yeah. Now it was reported that between 3,000 and 3,500 people attended the funeral for Oliver and the five children. Uh, the pastor actually spoke about Oliver's positive reputation, his good standing in the community, and how much he loved his children, which I actually would have sus I would have suspected that it would have been the opposite, that they would have not really talked about him and really focused on the children. You would think, but... All five of the children were buried together in a single plot, so they would be together. And then Oliver was buried nearby, which does that kind of ties into what I would think, where they would have separated him from the family that he murdered. Worcester uh, went to stay with his aunt until his mom and his sister got out of the hospital. So like I said, they were in the hospital for a long period of time, so it took a little bit for them to be able to come home and take care of him. So he stayed with his aunt. And then once they were out of the hospital, the three of them uh, were reunited. But after that, we don't really know what happened to the surviving. Hopefully members. they're all doing good now. And uh, I doubt the mom is still alive because this was the 30s and it is 2022. Yeah. yeah. The the kids might still be around. This This is fair. But the mom probably wouldn't. Yeah, you know me and math. And then I, I, for a brief second, forgot we're talking about 1930s. So um, hopefully they had a long, happy life. Yes, that's what I was getting at. But we all know me and words don't, you know, we, we don't play nice together. So, well, you can only count to four. This is true. The land and the house 
stayed there for some time. A after everything that happened, Fred Stone was like, I'm not going to move into this place. Absolutely not. There, there ended up being stories of hauntings and misfortunes. So after the murders, relatives took the the personal items, the household items and everything, you know, took them, either sold them or obviously Worcester, Clara and Bergie, some of those things they kept, the clothing, that kind of stuff. But they, they removed everything from the house. They locked it all up, boarded it all up. But people kept breaking in because they wanted to see the crime scene. They wanted to see where this happened. Of course. Yeah. So the family reported that hundreds of people went through the house before they were forced out and the house was nailed up. Some locals say that strange deaths occurred in the house, but eventually the house did burn down. Uh, others claim that the property always seems to have a strange fog that kind of floats around. So it does have a little bit of a, a haunty, ghosty sort of feel to it, but I'm not sure how it, how much is legend, how much is hearsay, how much is actually true, uh, you know, what kind of strange deaths occurred, those types of things. But as I said, the house did eventually burn down and there are still remnants of the building, um, you know, just like stuff down at the, the ground level that was left over. But it's pretty much open, abandoned land now. Just, just empty land. Yeah. Well, hearing the, the slight descriptions of the house and everything or the cabin or whatever, and then catching fire, I would imagine there's just not much left there to do anything with. So it's, that's understandable. No, there's not. It's kind of just like a pile of logs. And, you know, back then, most of the house would have been wood. So it's not like today where you have something synthetic materials and that kind of stuff with like a wooden framework and then, you know, siding or glass or all that stuff like this would have been mostly wood. Yeah, it would have been probably a very large, uncontrolled fire. And being way out there in, in, in the farming community, I would assume you, the, the response time was not very good for like fire departments and stuff. It's a rural farming community. So at the time in the 30s, well, I'm not sure when it burned down. Depending on when it burned down, you know, you, who knows if they had a fire truck. This is also true. I mean, even now, like, uh, depending on where you are, you have to get a fire truck from the next county over. Uh-huh. But kind of circling to the crime itself. And Oliver Davenport is what is considered a family annihilator. It's a type of killer who removes the lives of the entire family, if possible. In an interview with Newsweek, a sociologist and criminologist named Jack Levin defined a family annihilator as a husband or father, certainly one of the family members, who kills the entire family unit not just his wife or one of his children, but every member of the family. So luckily he was not completely successful because there were some survivors, but his intention was to end the whole family's lives that early, early morning. And then like most family annihilators, the killer also takes their own life. It, it, it ain't have to be like this, but why though? Well, 
The primary motive among male family annihilators is economic struggles. The annihilator sees the death as merciful compared to the future that they might face. The killer also sees themselves as a victim, blaming someone or something else for their misfortune. So Clara said that Oliver, when this all happened, told her they were going to starve. And he also blamed her. So they, this type of person, this type of personality, this type of killer does not see themselves as a murderer. They see themselves as a merciful, I don't want to say angel of death because that's another type of killer, but they are someone who is, thinks they are doing something for the betterment of the people they are killing. Yeah. Which is twisted. What you, like him blaming them for their financial stuff or whatever in the, in the beginning. Yeah, that kind of lines up. And like I said, this fits the pattern of a family annihilator. And, you know, this was this was in the swing of the Great Depression. This is when things were looking really bleak and the outlook for farmers was bad. It was very bad. Like I said, there were farms that were just abandoned, shut down, etc. So it is possible that basically that is the existence and Oliver took it too far and just immediately assumed that they were all going to starve and die. And that's why he did this again. Not not a good reason. Yeah, no, no there, there's no good reason at all for this. No, but it does add a little bit of perspective. Yeah. You know, to like it is possible that that's that's what he was thinking when he said they were all going to starve. He was skipping over tomorrow and the next day and immediately going to six months down the line and thinking that everything was going to go sideways and instead of trying to avoid that or trying to change things he just did the unthinkable and unfortunately these types of killers they happen even to this day there is a huge list of different ones over the years and it's something that you know has been studied but sucks yes yeah like there's nothing i don't have any words for it isn't it's it's always similar and yet slightly different each story is like like you, we, we, I know we talked about it before. How there's different uh, types of killers. Like you just mentioned, you just went through the whole thing about them blaming other people or whatever. It's it it really is. The more you do, kind of like what we do and research different stories and stuff, you you can see that more and more than you realize. Yeah, and there are patterns. So I watched a TED talk with a man named Jim Fallon, not Jimmy, Jim. <laughs> very different person but he is a uh a a researcher scientist uh and he actually looked into the sort of makeup of a serial killer and we've talked about this before about you know there's often head trauma there's often this and that and there actually is a genetic link as well so there is a gene that is it's common across serial killers. So having this gene does not make you a serial killer. 
I will start with that. But it gives you a predisposition. So this is actually something that a lot of people have. <laughs> a lot of people have. Yeah. So um, men and women. But this actually also helps explain the much lower number of women serial killers than men. Because it is a gene that is only found on your X chromosome. So with women, you have two X chromosomes. You know, you have a, a two, half as likely to have this be uh, prevalent. Whereas men have one X chromosome. So if your mother gives you this gene, good luck. No, uh, <laughs> like I said, it does not make you a serial killer. However, you mix that gene with head trauma, abuse, a lot of the horrible things that happen in the lives of serial killers, that is what slowly converts them into this horrible monster. Yeah, because with a lot of serial killers and, and stuff like that, it, it is a lot of like trauma and stuff that triggers it, so to speak. So, yeah, yeah. So it's highly possible that like you and Chris have this gene, but because you have had healthy lives. Yes. <laughs> You're not out there murdering people. So it's it's a very interesting thing because Good. Let's let's keep it that way. Yeah. But it's one of those things where it's not just a black and white like gene yes bad, gene no good. It's it's one of those things, but it's one of the many factors that leads to it. So it's actually It it's one one ingredient. Yes. Yes. In the recipe. Let's just say a serial killer is the worst horrible monstrous cake ever it's like making boxed cake if you just have the boxed cake mix and nothing else yeah that's a really if good if you don't add the eggs in the milk it's not gonna make the cake exactly there you go that's exactly it and in this instance we probably shouldn't be like linking serial killers and cake because cake is good serial killers are bad so i mean that's why i preface that it's the worst cake ever fair enough yeah this is that this is that that weird nasty cake this is the display cake that you grab thinking it was an actual cake and you get it home to cut it open and it's just <laughs> cardboard with icing on it please tell me that you have done this and you're speaking from experience no no i'm not okay i don't know where i got that story from i honestly don't remember if it was actually someone i know telling the story or if it was you or who it was <laughs> telling the story it wasn't me but it was lady came in asking for a cake and ended up taking home the cake later on came back to return it and they were like this is a display cake it, there's it's it's cardboard oh it was a tiktok i'm, I'm being told this was a tiktok um turns out they grabbed display cake because their manager told them oh no 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 it's fine we just have the sign up here that says display the manager didn't understand that display only means it's not a real cake and sold them the display oh yeah oh that's rough that's real rough yes so cakes aside serial killers aside that was the end of the story of the Davenport family murders. That was an interesting one that I had not heard before and definitely went from zero to 100 real quick. Yeah, I had never heard of it before either. And once we, like I said, once we got those listener submissions, it was one of those ones that was like, what? Yeah, I'm starting to get more and more stuff on the spooky side of stories. So, like, I've been saving these for research later. Yeah, I... I think that's one of my favorite things is like hearing because I 
as much as I love true crime podcasts and true crime documentaries, you kind of hear a lot of the same stories over and over. Uh, I know there is a Netflix documentary right now that's very popular, American Murderer, about Chris Watts, which is a story that uh, Bailey Sarian covered on YouTube years ago when it was actually happening. She watched the trial. She read the 5,000 page uh, documents uh, from the court trial and everything like that. And that was actually her first episode of Murder, Mystery and Makeup. And then this documentary came out and people were like, this story is so crazy. And I'm like, this sounds so familiar. This sounds so familiar. And then I watched it. I was like, oh, it's because I've heard this one. And that sounds kind of snotty and condescending and that's not what I mean by it but it's like it's I like hearing about new stories and seeing more of the the breadth of everything yes and making those connections like you were talking about with seeing the patterns and the psychology and that kind of stuff so I don't know where I'm going with this <laughs> this is one of those rabbit holes we, we fall down us after the story's over. No, we we never. Oh, we would never go down rabbit holes. No, no we don't do that. Not no. here. <clears throat> no, not at all. So, speaking of tangents and everything like that, uh, you were you were running a bit late this evening, and I texted Chris, and I was like, "Yeah, I messaged Crack and didn't hear from him," and he came upstairs. He's like, "So what are we doing?" And I was like. We're waiting for Kraken to reply. He's like, oh, Fair enough. <laughs> he thought I was telling him that he had to be on the podcast again. I mean, if he wants to join us for a Cracko Tales, I'm, I'm fine with this, too. That would be interesting. I will let him know. <laughs> but was, so let him know if he's interested in hearing the tale of the Mothman at some point. <laughs> I, I will see what he thinks. But it was funny. He came upstairs to get his cup of tea and he was he was all like ready to go. I was like, do you want to be on the podcast? He's like, no, but I thought you needed me to. That's, it seems like he was ready and eager to be on the podcast. He just didn't want you to know that. Yeah, it, the, yeah accurate. Just just slip the word out there that like, hey, you're invited to join, even though Krakow is here. You're still you're still welcome. He is a goober. I mean, so are we. But yes, fair. So, yeah, that is the tale of Oliver Davenport and the tragedy that took place in Missouri. I would say that was a good story, but it wasn't, but you get what I mean. As always, make sure to check out our website for all of the show notes, sources, and more information at thesquonkandthehag.com. And we would also love and appreciate your support by either leaving a review on iTunes or through small monthly donations using the viewer support link in the description. And if you don't subscribe, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast network to get notified of new episodes every Thursday. All right, Cracko, you ready? Okay, bye.